0: Turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 11. I notice several of you have the custom of standing while we read, so so to be united, why don't we all stand? Luke chapter 11, and I want you to read just two verses of scripture, beginning with verse 5. And he said unto them which of you shall have a friend and shall go unto him at midnight and say unto him friend lend me three loaves for a friend of mine in his journey is come to me and I have nothing. To set before him. Heavenly Father as we come to you right now. We pray oh Lord Jesus that you will touch our hearts and our minds. Thank you for your anointed word. And I pray Lord Jesus that you shall anoint the congregation to receive your word. And I pray Lord that you will anoint my mind. And cause my mind to be alert. And loose my tongue that I may speak to your people in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I pray, amen and amen. You may be seated. Verse 6, I will read again. For a friend of mine in his journey is come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. And from this text, I want to speak to you tonight. On the subject the importance of a little bit of bread. The importance of a little bit of bread. There are several things that are indicated here in the parable that Jesus is using. This was a very primitive area at the time that this happened, at the time of Christ. He didn't have automobiles. They didn't have motorcycles. No doubt he was traveling by foot and at the very best by horse or donkey. And you will notice that he was traveling at midnight. There is only one reason that a man would be traveling at midnight alone and by himself. And that's because he didn't have enough money in his pocket to stay in a hotel or an inn somewhere at an earlier time. It would seem that he is distressed. It would seem that he is poverty-stricken, that he is in great need. It was not the common thing to eat at the midnight hour in those days. I know we do it now. In fact, that's the most favorite meal of Pentecostals. (laughs) But uh, it was not a common thing in those days to eat at midnight. And when he arrived, he is hungry enough that he's going to cause this host of his to go to the neighbor and to borrow some bread because he didn't have any bread in his own cupboard and in his own house. It's a very difficult thing sometimes to travel in in primitive areas. I've done a lot of that. And thank the Lord for Jesus for Christ and our youth department that has made it much easier for our missionaries in traveling. I'll never forget one time when Brother Tenney was still the mission, or rather the youth director, Conqueror's president, uh, international. And he came to Thailand to visit us. And uh, the youth department had purchased us a beautiful uh, a uh, four-wheel drive Land Rover. It had so many forward gears on it, and when you'd put it down in the lowest gear, it would just creep along idling, and it almost climb trees when you do that. It wasn't very big, but it was very powerful, and I didn't want him to think that uh, they had got me such a vehicle that I didn't need. And so I took him out in the wilderness a little bit, and out in the areas where we really needed that vehicle and it was something else i remember on one particular point the curve it was a steep overhang there and cliff and it was just right straight down and it was so narrow around there that we all had to get out of the car and only a driver in there and someone tied a rope around the post of that vehicle and got up on the upper side of the cliff and held that rope to be sure that vehicle didn't go over that precipice. And uh, that was the time that Brother Tennis said, Brother Cole, if you're trying to impress me, I am thoroughly impressed. <laughs> Praise God. We got on down there to that church, and uh, the pastor had him a little house built out of the steep roofs built out of grass and bamboo, three rooms, and each room had a very steep roof over it with no ceiling in it, just out of bamboo and grass. And the three of us, we filled the room up when we lay down, no furniture of any kind. And he was laying there looking up into the grass and the spiders running around in the ceiling. He said, well, bless the Lord. Here we are in the Black Widow uh, Motel. <laughs> But I want you to know God began to pour out his spirit in that wonderful place. Hallelujah. But to travel in some of these areas is very, very difficult. One occasion, Sister Cole and I, one of the first trips we ever made to the north of Thailand, we were still in language school and uh, we had to go to school for more than a year, 40 hours a week learning uh, their language. And uh, it was a rough road, thank God. Oh, almost made a terrible blunder. I started to say, thank God for the war. (laughs) Anyhow, we got some decent roads over there. (laughs) That was one of the good things. (laughs) We got some good highways in Thailand because of that war. They built military highways, and of course we were allowed to use them too. But uh, before those highways were built, i never seen anything like it in all my life. We were invited by some Presbyterian people to come into the north for a conference. And uh, what a conference it was. It resulted in 140-some Presbyterians being baptized in the wonderful name of the Lord Jesus Christ. (laughs) Praise God. But anyhow, that was one long, hard trip. You can make that trip in one day today. But then it took us uh, about 36 hours of continual driving. And uh, thank God for the good new budgets that we have. We didn't have any budgets in those days. Brother, it was on the road, nowhere to stay. And just kept going and going and going until we were just exhausted. Sometimes uh, we would have to travel at 10 and 15 miles an hour. The roads were so so rough and so narrow trying to get to the northern part of Thailand. And when we arrived at this little Presbyterian church, it was 4 a.m. in the morning and no place for us to sleep or to go. And we all, the whole carload, just went in and went to sleep on the platform of the church. That's right. And we were so tired. I want you to know we really went to sleep on that platform. And when we awakened, we looked up and would you believe that that place was jammed and packed with the whole congregation that's right they had slipped in there so quietly and were just sitting there watching us oh, praise the lord i said please excuse us i was in my pajamas Now that is a sight. (laughs) But this thing of traveling in primitive areas can be very, very, very difficult. Amen. So tired, so worn. And you get filthy, absolutely filthy, with the dusty roads. And, uh, And your hair is just plastered with the dust. You put just a little bit of water on it to straighten up your hair a little bit. And believe me, you've got a a, a plaster on your head. And and this just seems to be, to me, the situation that is here. Only it's midnight. And he has come. He is tired. He is worn. He is hungry. He is probably sick. He is poor. He is penniless. And he needs something. And he has come to a friend's house. And would you believe? that that friend did not even have one single loaf of bread in the house and had to make the horrible statement, I have nothing to set before you. Very likely you're seeing the same thing that I see in this text, a beautiful illustration of the world today. We are in the midnight hour. This is a crisis time. This is a time of darkness and suffering. This is a time when men and women are starved to death, spiritually speaking, bankrupt, ragged, torn, poor. All they may, as far as this world is concerned, they may own the finest shop in the world. They may own the finest home. They may drive the finest cars. They may wear tailor-made suits. But spiritually speaking, they are bankrupt. They are poor. They are sick. They are weary, and it is a midnight hour, and it's crisis times. And some of these people are wandering into our churches, and I'm afraid to say that some have got to say, we have nothing to set before you. Troubled, distressed on every hand. Psychology is not going to do it. The people that are in the deepest trouble are people that are leaning on education and on psychology. We've got people that's going through colleges and so forth and getting the whole ball of wax. And they end up neurotics and no faith in the supernatural. It's not going to work in these last days. I don't mean to ridicule doctors. I thank God for doctors. I appreciate doctors. But have you walked through the mental wards where they go to school for 16 years to learn how to give a shot that knocks people out? And that's about all they can do for them. But I want you to know we have a gospel. We have a message. We have a doctrine, we have a word, we have a God that is able to heal the sick, that's able to change the hearts and minds of men and women by the power of God. We've got to somehow have something from the Lord. We've got to have something from God. Can you say amen? People today are starting out their journeys from the day that they are born And they began to walk through this life until they're 6, 12, 15, 18 years old. And we have a lot of people that before they're 16 years old are totally bankrupt. Mentally bankrupt. Physically bankrupt. They've destroyed everything that God has given to them. And they wander into our churches. I want you to know that this congregation tonight... Is filled with people that was in such a condition as that and wandered into the house of God and there was no bare cupboards. Somebody had a little bit of bread to set on the table. Somebody was helped. Somebody was fed. Somebody had to give them a bed that they might rest their weary bodies spiritually speaking. Hallelujah. Oh let's praise the Lord together. I worship you Lord Jesus. I- and I adore you, almighty God. I praise thy matchless holy name. Hallelujah. And that brother came into that man's house. There's no way that he could have went out into the yard and picked up a stone and gave it to him for bread. It won't work. There's no way that he could have went down into the basement of his house and got a scorpion and gave it to him for an egg. It won't work. There's no way that he could have gone into the high grass of the fields and picked up a serpent and gave it to him for a fish. It would not have worked. What he needed was rest. What he needed was bread. And I think it's tragic when we have to go to our neighbors when somebody is in need spiritually. Our churches have got to be equipped to be able to minister to these people. Religion has proved it over and over and over again that they do not have the answer to the problem. I know I have said for hours and counseled people. And I don't want to ridicule counseling. I don't want to ridicule sitting down and, and discussing people's problems. But I am finding out more and more and more and more that it's a good old preaching of God's word that's going to help people. What people need is some good, strong word from God to save their souls in this generation that you and I live today. Amen. Religion won't do it. I have seen it around the world. I lived in a city, in the city that I lived in. There were 400 Buddhist temples in the city that I lived in. that I took my little five-year-old girl, 400 Buddhist temples in that city. Idols on every street corner, in every high place, on every mountain top, in every grove, there was idols. Today in Thailand, I showed Brother McIntyre some of it while he was there in the little tiny nation of Thailand about the size of the state of Texas. There were 80 million Buddhist idols in that country. But I want you to know that there are thousands of believers that have been baptized in Jesus' name and filled with the wonderful Holy Ghost as well. Can you say praise the Lord? And the first things I seen when I went there, we went to a temple called the Golden Mountain, and in it uh, there was a high concrete steps that went high to the top of the mountain. And on the top of the mountain was this temple, a Buddhist temple. And people had come by the hundreds and the thousands and were having a festival down in the lower area of that mountain. And then when they wanted to do something spiritual, they would go up those steps, climb those steps. And in it was a, an idol of Buddha. And they would purchase down in the festival little gold uh, square leaves, gold leaf. They would purchase it for a price and and carry it up there. And they were to lay it and put it on the idol in the area in which they needed help. I never shall forget an old woman who was so sincere. I didn't know the language yet. I couldn't witness to her. I felt so frustrated that I couldn't talk to her about the Lord. But she crawled up those steps on her knees until her knees were bleeding trying to make penance, trying to make sacrifice, trying to somehow get relief from her sins and from her burden. And walked all the way. I watched her. Sister Cole was with me. And I watched her as she bowed three times before the idol, chattering words that I could not understand in those days. And after bowing some three times, taking that little gold leaf and placing it on the heart of that image on that image indicating that it was in her heart that she needed some help I watched her as she wept and walked away just as empty as she came religion is not going to do it and you and I as apostolic people are going to be tempted to turn to religion and it's not going to work we've got to have apostolic bread in our churches Praise the Lord. So-called Christianity is not going to do the job. I may have told you on some other occasion, but I remember on one occasion being in the Philippines, a so-called Christian nation at Easter time. And there's a certain village there where they reenact the life, or reenact the crucifixion at that time of the year. There were certain religious fanatics that uh, literally allowed themselves to be crucified. One of them had stripped himself right down to his waist and with glass had cut his back until his back was bleeding. He took a manila rope in his hand and began to lash himself across the back as he walked barefooted down that dusty mud road. Amen walking toward the rendezvous where he would be crucified in the likeness of the Lord. And in years past, they'd always tied their hands to the cross. And when their heads would slip, they would be unconscious. And they would take them down from the cross and carry them to a hospital where they would be convalescent back to health again. And maybe the next year do it all over again. But the particular year that Sister Cole and I was there and seen this, this one man was so fanatic, he said, I want you to drive nails through my hands. I want you to drive nails through my feet. And when his head slumped after lifting him into the air, he was not unconscious, he was dead and went to hell. Religion is not going to do it. Apostate Christianity is not going to do it and I watch I watch our churches with a great jealousy over them not that they belong to me but because I am a part of the church I watch as worldliness creeps in I watch as standards break down I watch as we lose the apostolic power sometimes in some areas I tell you If there was ever a day that we need to get a little bit of bread in the cupboard, it is today. This is a world that is crying out to God, I need some food. I need some help. Can you say amen? Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Let's lift our hands and praise the Lord together. I worship you, Lord Jesus. And I adore you, Almighty God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Nothing short of the truth and spirit is going to do the job. Amen. I believe in the truth and I believe in the spirit. I heard Brother Bryce here on one of the morning devotions. Perhaps it was this morning. I heard him talking about love. I want you to know that I concur with that one hundred percent. We need it. We need it. I said we need it. There's more to it than just the truth. But we have got to have truth and spirit. We have got to love the people. I tell you, it, it terrifies me. It terrifies me when I see people dressed holy and godly and modest and the ladies with their hair uncut and believe me i believe in that and you pick somebody out among you that believes it with all of their heart and you'll find me that's where i am at if there's such a thing as liberals and conservative put me on the extreme end of the conservatives I believe in all of that, but when I see that, when I see that and I see the scowl on their faces and never a word of love, never a word of compassion, never any mercy, I tell you I am terrified and wonder where in the name of God are we going and what's going to be the end of this thing? I believe in standards I believe in all those things but oh God help us that our hearts will be filled with compassion and love for this world and for the lost I was privileged to go with the brethren today to a beautiful restaurant I enjoyed it thoroughly we had a wonderful conversation and, fellowship and The food was just out of this world. But I tell you, you can have good food and not know how to serve it. And sure make a mess of things. I love vegetable soup. But somehow or another, I don't like it down the collar of of my shirt and inside my coat. I love coffee, but I uh, I don't like it dumped in my lap you understand what I'm trying to say? And sometimes, folks, we have the truth. But it is absolutely pathetic the way we present it to a hungry, starving, dying world. We've got to have the truth. But we've got to have the Spirit of God that loved even prostitutes. that loved drunkards, that loved outcasts. And if you can love a drunkard, and you can love a prostitute, and you can love someone that's an outcast, why can't you love a charismatic? Why can't you love somebody that's a member of the Assemblies of God? Well, I don't agree with my doctor, neither does the prostitute. Neither does an alcoholic, neither does a guy that's laying in the gutter. We need to have mercy and compassion and be able to know how to deliver the food of God to these people. Amen. God help us in these last days. I want you to know we're a part of the church. God is counting on us. If there was ever a time that I need to preach apostolic, it is today. If there's ever a time I need to talk apostolic, it is today. If there's ever a time that I need to pray apostolic, it is today. Praise the Lord. God, you're able to help us. God, you're able to anoint us. You're able to help us in Jesus' name. God's able to help us to go forth in power and anointing. And with wisdom and understanding. Hallelujah. 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 I love you, Lord Jesus. And I praise you, almighty God. Blessed be thy matchless holy name. Hallelujah. 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 Let me tell you something, folks. God is in the business of multiplying. God is in the business of multiplying. The Old Testament prophets went to a widow's house one day and uh, found out all she had was a little handful of meal and a little bit of cooking oil in the cruise. And she made a present unto the Lord through that prophet. And God touched the meal. God touched the oil. God didn't turn coal into oil. He didn't turn the wood into oil. He turned oil into oil. And He didn't make potatoes out of meal or meal out of potatoes, He made meal out of meal. He multiplied the meal, and he multiplied the oil, and sustained that woman. On another occasion, the prophet went, and, he said, and this little woman was in a lot of trouble. Her son was taken his bondsman. He said, what you got in your house? He had to know what was in the house. He said, well, I've got a little bit of oil here, and God touched the oil. And caused that oil to multiply. And it was sold until her sons were set free. And Jesus Christ, when he was teaching on the mountain, you believe for one second that he couldn't have turned that whole mountain into bread? Oh, he could have done anything he wanted to do. He could have turned that whole mountainside into bread. He could have turned every great boulder that was as big as this church into a loaf of bread to the largest loaf of bread in the whole wide world but he wouldn't do it. The devil tempted him one day and said turn these stones into bread and the Lord said I ain't going to do it. There's a lot of things that God can do that he won't do. And one thing is, he's not going to turn stones into bread. And so he searched that crowd and searched it and had the disciples to search it and searched and searched and searched until they found somebody with a little bit of fish and a little bit of bread. That's all he needed was a little bit, but he had to have a little bit. He never performed the miracle until he had a little bit. And when God, when God gives revival, the way that God gives revival is to multiply what's in your church. And God lifts off the roof of your church. And looks down in the roof of your church and looks down in your church and all he can see is sedition and envy and strife and jealousy and hatred and and arguing with the pastor and all other kind of things and god says if i multiply that mess down there i'll destroy that whole city God is going to look around until he can find a little bit of fish and a little bit of bread. You may not have very much of it, but that's what it needs. He's going to look down there and say, hey, there's a guy that's got a little bit of love in his heart. I'm going to multiply it. There's a guy that's got a little bit of power. I'm going to multiply I'm going to multiply it. Atayala Kunda Yabahasa Shandaya. It's a lava hundred of a Kutaya. We cry out to God, You folks about to preach me to death. My Lord. Go ahead and praise the Lord while I rest a minute. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Jesus, Jesus, I worship you, Lord God, and I praise you, Almighty. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. I want God to be able to look down into my heart and find something that he can multiply and help somebody. Praise the Lord. I don't need a lot of it. Just a little bit of something he wants. Just a little bit of what he wants. Praise God. Hallelujah. In 2 Kings, the fifth chapter, an interesting thing happened. It is, uh, oh, Gehazi, no uh, oh, captain from Assyria, was looking for a little bit of healing, you know. And, uh, Naaman wanted to be healed from his, Leprosy. Like to scare old King Saul to death when he come over there and talked to him about healing. He just rent his clothes, accused him of trying to start a war. But he finally got to the right guy, got to the man of God, and he got healed. He didn't like the way he told him to get healed. Told him, go jump in the river seven times. He didn't like that. But when he finally got around to it, why, he was cleansed. And old Gehazi, you know, he got carried away. He thought, hey, we'll turn stones into bread. You know what bread is, don't you? Money. And there's a lot of people today that's taking the gifts of God and turning stones into bread. Amen. And uh, Gehazi, you know, he wanted a little of that. All the will of God. And he was stricken with Naaman's leprosy. And if there's any record in the Bible of Gehazi being delivered or healed, I'm not aware of it. He was done. He was finished. Because he wasn't sincere, he wasn't honest, and he was a hypocrite. I tell you, as this church gets a little more apostolic and a little more apostolic, It's going to be mighty dangerous to be a hypocrite in this church. I remember when I was still with my father in Parkersburg, West Virginia. He was building that new church, and I went there to help him build that building. I was getting ready to go to Thailand. In fact, I was getting ready to go with you, Brother McIntyre. And uh, I was preaching on Sunday night. I was going to leave the following Wednesday, Tuesday or Wednesday. And uh, I was preaching, never have preached on it since, never preached on it before. I preached on the dangers of hypocrisy. And the spirit of the Lord came upon me. And I prophesied to that church. And I said, there's two people that's living a life of hypocrisy in this church. And it's been going on for a long time. And if you don't stop it, you're living in adultery. And if you don't stop it, God's going to kill you. Well, you say something like that in one of our churches and everybody goes, You know, they say, let's be apostolic. And everybody goes, praise God, amen. But just be apostolic and watch them. Just be apostolic and watch what's happening. Boy, they tighten up like a snare drum. (laughs) Time to laugh, Billy Cole. Am I telling the truth? And I went on to Thailand. And when I got back, his little sister wanted to talk to Sister Cole and I. She said, I'm scared to death. She said, I went to the man that I was living in adultery with and said, you know that he means us. This was on the following Sunday night at 5 p.m. She said, you know he means us. And that man answered her and said, Ah! 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 Preachers! Phony! Nothing to it! Just coincidence! I'm not repenting, I'm not doing nothing wrong! Three and a half hours later, in the Sunday night service, Stood to pray. And when he sat down, he was dead. And as we grow more and more apostolic, in these last days, we're going to see some of these things happen. So many times, you see, so many times God tries to weed and root out these hypocrites out of our churches, and we want them so bad that we wail and cry over them until God gives that mess back to us. And we wonder what's wrong with our church. (laughs) Well, I didn't get up here to say all this, but maybe somebody out there knows why I'm saying it. Is this all right, Brother Jockey? Praise the Lord. Is this the way you preach, Brother McIntyre? Am I doing all right? <laughs> Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Oh, Gehazi didn't find repentance. But let me point you to something else. In the next chapter, in chapter six. Elisha and his little Bible college called the School of the Prophets. They were growing. And one of them called it to his attention and said, We don't have enough room around here. We need to enlarge this place. It's too straight. It's too narrow. And what he meant by that was there's not enough room. Growing! Oh, that's exciting time, isn't it? It's exciting. There's nothing like growing and harvesting. That's what I like. Oh, I hate plowing and sowing. I just hate to plow and sow. But you got to do it. That's what I've been doing for about two years (laughs) in Charleston. Went down there and reaped the harvest. Now I've had to plow and sow. I'm going to keep on plowing. I'm going to keep on sowing. But I love them harvesting times, don't you? When the souls are coming in. Praise the Lord. And they were in a time of growth. Everything was going great. And one of those young fellows, one of those young prophets said, Elijah, Elisha, let's let's build a new place. Let's expand. Let's enlarge. He said, All right, let's do it. Go ahead. and the Bible says that they were able to do it because every man got them a beam. Not just a few of them, but every man got him a beam. Everybody got a hold of a log, And they headed for, for bigger territories and began to build. It was a time, amen, of growth and expansion. It was in the time when they were really involved in service. They were united. Every single man was involved. Every man was doing his job. Every man was putting his shoulder to the wheel. That's right. They had a good plan. They know how to build. They know how to do it. They've got the instrument of power in their hands. Called an axe head. They knew how to hew those logs. Praise God. Everybody's excited. Elisha was going down there with them. That's right. They almost forgot that. And one of them said, now wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. We don't want to go down there unless you go with us. Well, that's the best thing they ever did. Don't go running off without the man of God. Or you're going to run into plenty of trouble. And I'm talking to preachers as well as saints. Every preacher needs a pastor. I don't care who you are. I don't care how many souls you've won. You better have somebody that is a pastor to you because sooner or later you're going to need it. I'll never forget as long as I live when I was right in the midst of Holy Ghost rallies right here in the United States. had been overseas and I'd come home and the brother and child challenged me and said, quit telling us about what God's doing over there. Come and show us. Do it show-and-tell well that's quite a challenge because a few years ago we had a lot more traditions than we got tonight (laughs) and I mean to tell you we did and I'm not talking about Presbyterians and the Baptists. I'm talking about the UPC we had traditions that hindered people from getting the Holy Ghost plenty of (laughs) hinders and I wasn't sure just what would happen Going around over this country doing what I was going to do. And what I did, I kept my credentials in my pocket. And believe me, that makes everybody say the days of miracles are not past. They're liars. That's right. (laughs) Because I kept my credentials and kept on doing what I was doing. (laughs) And it wasn't what we had been doing. (laughs) Praise the Lord. (laughs) Hallelujah. That's right. And right in the midst of that, during seven months, there was 1,200 American people who received the baptism of the Holy Ghost in those meetings. Some of them was right in this area. And uh, just out of the clear blue sky, I suddenly lost my direction. I didn't know which way to go. I didn't know what to do. I was totally frustrated, I mean, cried day and night, wake up crying, went to bed a crying, exhausted, absolutely, totally exhausted, and I went to a friend, I had to help bury him the other day, Brother Jim Stewart, I went to a friend and I said, Jim, I have not sinned, but I have lost my way. I am totally confused. And he took absolute, total control of my life for 30 days. I wasn't allowed to breathe unless he told me to breathe. I didn't do nothing he didn't tell me to do and I did everything he told me to do. I remember once he called me and he said, Billy, I want you to go to such and such a place and hold a Holy Ghost rally. I was crying on the phone. I was devastated. I said, no, I am not going. I don't have the faith. I am shattered. He said, you? Are in my care and in my charge and you will not tell me what you're going to do and what you're not going to do I said yes sir I got in my car and I drove 300 miles and I cried every mile of the way but I got in the pulpit very positive very positive and I preached Three services, Saturday night, Sunday morning, and Sunday night. And 67 received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. On Monday morning, I got in my car and cried all the way home. devastated. Devastated. Why didn't you fail, Brother Cole? Because there was a man of God that I trusted, that led me out of the wilderness. Praise the Lord. He was your pastor, brother. He was your friend. You wasn't the preacher then. You was uh, a news reporter for the Columbus Dispatch, and he was your pastor. Great man, God. I don't care who you are. You better have somebody that's in touch with God that you trust. Can you say amen? If you don't need him tonight, you will tomorrow or next week or next month. You'll need him sooner or later or her. It can be a woman of God as well. Praise the Lord. Aren't you glad for people that you can trust? There are men, and I'd be lying if this isn't the truth. I think we need to quit a lying in church. There are men on this platform here tonight and if such a thing would ever happen to me again, there are men on this platform that I love and trust that I could put my life in their hands. And I know that they would not lead me astray. Praise the Lord. I think we ought to raise our hands and thank the Lord for people of God. Hallelujah 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 praise the Lord thank you Jesus but one of those young prophets said hey wait a minute let's don't go over there unless you go with us Moses one time told the Lord said Lord don't lead us up there unless you're gonna go with us hallelujah we need the presence of God they got down there and they were so excited So united, they were so zealous, I mean, everybody carrying, everybody putting it together, carrying bricks and logs and, and beams and, and out there he was with that axe head, bless God, the instrument of power, they were absolutely helpless without that instrument of power in their hands, swing away, and suddenly that cane flew off of the handle, united in a time of growth, in a time of unity, in a time of zeal, in a time when they were all working together for one zealous purpose they were not selfish they were not loafing they weren't doing anything but suddenly go now that's very different than what happened to gehazi and let me tell you something we get to talking about the apostolic church there was times When the apostolic church went through periods when not too much was happening. Now, why do you suppose Jesus told the disciples that when you go into such and such a town and they won't hear you, shake the dust off of your feet? Well, we don't read about where they did it. Well, if you was going to write a book, you wouldn't write about all your failures, you dummies. You're going to tell where you got the victory. Isn't that your truth? Hallelujah. Jesus never told them to do that unless they were going to have an opportunity to do it. Jesus didn't raise the dead every single day. Jesus didn't multiply the bread every single day. And we sometimes put pressure on ourselves that we have to perform the whole book every single day or we are devastated. We think God has left us. Listen, if you missed the at auxiliary service this morning, you missed it. Well, I didn't say that. Maybe you couldn't get here, but you missed something. Praise the Lord. Amen. It may have been my wife, but she had a message from God. <laughs> we get to whining and bawling around just because everything's not exactly the way we think it ought to be. Now the reason she could speak that so well, I won't say preach it, because she 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 never calls herself a preacher. In fact, that's the first statement she always makes: "I'm not a preacher," and. Uh, But uh, she does an awful lot of preaching. And most of the time, I'm her audience. (laughs) And she has preached that sermon that she preached to you today. She's preached that to me 100 times. Boy, she'll wade into that bedroom with the shades all down and covers pulled up over my head. She'll jerk the covers down and start preaching. (laughs) (laughs) Praise God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We have to be practical about this thing. We've got to be apostolic. But we've also got to have some balance. We need to get our noses in the book and see how it was done there. And God's able to duplicate it in our lives. And if you're really apostolic, there's going to be a time in your life when everybody is united, everybody's excited, everybody's on the ball, everybody's working together, the church is growing, the Sunday school's growing, and bam! Suddenly, you're helpless. The instrument of power is suddenly, instantly, gone! That doesn't mean that you haven't got anything. Those fellows didn't learn their ability to build. They still had their knowledge, they still had their understanding, they still had their desire, they still had their love, they still had their unity. They just had lost the instrument of power, but there happened to be a man of God among them. said, where did you lose it? Hallelujah. And he was able to bring that old iron head to the surface. It didn't say it just floated, but it swam. And he said, reach down and pick it up. And I believe that's what God is saying to the church today. Reach down and pick it up. <laughs> God's going to help us. Thank you, I remember, and I'm going to close. I preached long enough. I'm going to quit. I remember when I first went to Charleston, West Virginia, one of the hardest places I've ever preached in my life, and I'm not going to run, I'm there in the will of God, I'm going to stay there and see to it that there's an apostolic church in Kanoa County. And I'm going to preach it straight. And I'm not going to pastor a bunch of worldly women. Ain't going to do it. I'm going to be patient with them. I'm going we'll preach to them. A lot of difference between preaching to people and pastoring. Right. I got people in my church that I preach to, and I've got others that I pastor. Yeah. <laughs> If you don't understand that, you're not supposed to. These fellows understand. And I went down there and one of our first converts came to me and said, Brother Cole, would you please go pray for my father? I said, why sure. She just got the Holy Ghost, one of the first ones. And uh, I didn't pay too much attention, but she said, "Uh, now my father is very sick, he is terminally ill, very sick, and I said, right." they said, uh, she said, now they they have sent him home to die, he's a very self-willed man, and he's determined to live in his own apartment, and he's alone. So I went to his apartment and when I rang the bell I heard a buzzer that I recognized as one of those type of buzzers that unlocks the door and so I pushed the door open and I was not prepared for what I seen when I walked into that house I seen what at first appearance looked like a real genuine skeleton laying on a couch I thought on the mission field I had seen everything but that literally took my breath if I ever seen a human being that looked like a skeleton with a little bit of skin stretched over him that man looked like a skeleton he had a big hole in his chest And he had pulled the bandage off of his chest. And I could see right down in his lungs. I could see his lungs. There was a tremendous hole in his throat. And I could see right down in his throat. He raised his hand and he had a vibrator in his hand. And he pressed it against his neck. And the sweat just began to pour off of him. Because he was so weak, just raising his hand because the perspiration just flowed from his body. He said, in a monotone, computer like voice, He said, uh, I know who you are. You are Brother Cole. I was baptized 33 years ago in Jesus' name. I never. Received the Holy Ghost. I am dying and I have no more strength to talk to you. And he let his hand drop and hang over the edge of that couch. I just absolutely was overwhelmed. And I knelt down beside him and I began to pray in the Spirit. Thank God for that great tool. I wasn't praying for him. I was praying for myself. Because I was so old totally. So totally overwhelmed. by what I see. And I must have prayed in the spirit. For 20 minutes. For myself. And then the Holy Ghost quickened me. The anointing of the Lord came upon me. And I spoke to him. I said, my brother, you do not have enough strength to lift your hands. I do not want you to lift your hands. I said, have you repented of your sins? He nodded his head and he had repented. And then I told him how the Holy Ghost was going to come upon him. I said, I don't want you to move until the holy ghost comes upon you and when it does the holy ghost will speak through you in another language that you never learned in school and when this happens when i tell you when i tell you i don't want you to move till i tell you but when i tell you i want you to raise that vibrator to your throat and i started praying Laid my hand upon him. I must have prayed about 10 minutes. And I said now. And he raised the vibrator. To his throat. And began to speak with other tongues. As a spirit of God. Give the utterance. Three days later. Where they had moved him to. A nursing home. One hour before he died. He raised the vibrator to his throat again, and in a monotone voice of a computer, he said by the call, I am not afraid anymore. When I walked into that house, I felt so helpless. But when I opened the cupboard, I found just a little bit of and the Lord multiplied it and here was a weary traveler that had traveled for 70 years and it was now midnight for him it was a crisis hour he was hungry he was poor and he was destitute and he said have you any bread?" I'm so glad That I didn't have to go to the neighbor's house and ask to borrow bread. It was just a little bit of bread in my own cupboard that the Lord was able to multiply and to feed him. And he met God with the Holy Ghost. He's with the Lord right now. If it were possible... And I wish that it were. If it were possible. And I wish that it were. If I could push a button here tonight. And suddenly. Every single human being. In this auditorium. Would take upon yourself. The physical appearance. Of your spiritual condition. I want you to know that this place, in my opinion, would be filled with people that were handsome and beautiful because you have loved the Word of God. You have eat the Word of God. You love the church. You love God's Word. And there would be men in this place that would be tall and strong and handsome. And there would be women that would be fair and beautiful and their hair would shine with health. Even some of you that in the physical may be very, very frail in the spirit. If you could take on the appearance of your physical or rather your spiritual condition, you would be very beautiful because you love God with all of your heart. But when you walked out of here tonight, and you go over here to some restaurant you'd find people dead on the streets nothing but bones dying you'd find people crawling to you and begging you please please just a crumb a bread i am starving i've been on such a long journey you please, give me something to eat. My sister is filled with compassion and she is praying a prayer of compassion. Would you lift your voices together with her? In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Just a little bit of bread. That's what the Lord is looking for tonight. Hallelujah. Would you stand with me as we sing unto the Lord, Sister Wright? Here I A moment and Sister Wright praise softly. I am dead serious, and I've been a lot of places. When I say that the Maryland, DC District is one of the most apostolic churches I've ever been in. I mean that with absolute sincerity. And folks, I appeal to you, since your churches are growing big enough to pay the bills, please, please, in the name of God, don't fall into some kind of a horrible rut and lose your apostolic anointing and vision and burden and power. Can you say amen? I'm really quite disappointed with the way I've preached this sermon tonight. But I have brought to you the message that the Lord wanted you to hear. And if some way you can respond to it, I wish you would move forward. I know we have a large crowd here and there's not a great deal of room here in the front. But as an act of commitment, would you at least step out from where you're at and move a little distance toward the front of the church as an act of commitment, that you're going to be apostolic, that you're going to keep searching your hearts, that you will be what God wants you to be and have something in your hearts and in your lives that God can you? Am, would you sing it with me? Everyone, come. Even if you're not even born again, you can come am, if you want to be Lord. Here I am.